welcome to Tea and Tattle, a podcast that celebrates female storytelling and creativity. I'm your host, Miranda Mills, and this week I'm joined by the author, Ingrid Persaud, to discuss Ingrid's debut novel, Love After Love, which is set in Trinidad and New York City and tells the story of an unconventional family, Betty, her son Solo, and their lodger, Mr. Chayton. When a revelation about the past shatters the bonds between Betty and Solo, all three characters must ultimately learn how to embrace themselves for who they truly are and to live a life on their own terms, guided by self-compassion and love. Love After Love reads like a love letter to Trinidad and it's a heartbreaking tale of motherhood, friendship and family. I so enjoyed chatting to Ingrid about how winning a short story prize began her career as a novelist, as well as the inspiration behind her book. And I also loved chatting to Ingrid about why she loves writing about food so much in fiction, because I think that's definitely an interest we both share. But let's get started with the show. Hello, Ingrid. Thank you so much for being on Tea and Tattle today. Thank you for having me, Miranda. I've been really looking forward to talking to you about Love After Love, which I so enjoyed. I thought it was an incredible and such a moving story. But I wondered if, to start things off, you would tell me a little bit about how you came to writing, because I know you pursued careers in law and fine art um, before writing Love After Love. And I wondered if you would tell me a bit about that and how you actually came to writing. So I arrived at being a writer via the scenic route. Um, as a child of, of Indian parents, you know, you have three options, lawyer, doctor, or failure. And <laughs> so I became, you know, a lawyer and um, did that for, for quite some time. And then I realized that, you know, something was missing. I wasn't sure what it was. And um, just a, a, a range of circumstances, I fell into a foundation course in fine art and then found that I loved it and went back to school as a, you know, an adult to do a degree in fine art and then an MA in fine art. And I, I, I thought that was kind of where I was heading. I was doing a lot of work um, with text. And um, then it, it still didn't feel 100% right. But I moved to Barbados. And in Barbados, I couldn't sort of access the same art scene as I had in London. I had to find some other creative outlet. And writing is portable. It fitted in with my circumstances. Um, I could do it in small bouts between um, looking after young children. And it just sort of grew from there, just every day a little bit, a little bit more. And now I've got a novel. <laughs> well, which is fantastic. But I know that you wrote a short story called The Sweet Sop a few years ago. And um, that won prizes and was sort of much talked about, which must have been very exciting. So I think it was your first short story yeah. that you 
got published. Is, is that right? Yes, I got very lucky. You know, I, I wrote The Sweet Sop. It won the overall Commonwealth Short Story Prize in 2017. And then it won the BBC Short Story Prize in 2018. And it was that single short story that gave me exposure and access to getting a fantastic agent. And that agent said to me, you know, have you got anything to show me? And I said, ha, huh, yeah, I've got a novel. And, um, and I didn't. I had 20,000 words. What I'd given her was all I had. And, and I, I sort of said, uh, I'll, I'll give you this in three months. And uh, she said, that's fantastic. Perfect. And I, I then went home and, and, you know, wrote sort of 21 hours a day for three months and finished the novel. I, I mean, I'm tired just thinking of it, you know, <laughs> crazy, crazy thing yeah. to do. And I would never recommend it. <laughs> but that novel I see was love after love or that's what yes. became love after love yes well that's extraordinary have you kept writing short stories at all or would you ever be tempted to publish a short story collection or is it really long form writing that's captivated you now no I I'm definitely intrigued by short story writing it's it's so precise it's it's a real intellectual exercise to get it right and um I would love to publish a collection of short stories at some point in life but you know I'm I'm just gathering those short stories now and 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 kind of refining and learning my art mm. so you know at some point some point I hope so well, I think Love After Love is such an accomplished first novel. I mean, it was really an extraordinary read. What was the inspiration behind the story? I mean, did it start out as a short story at all? Or was it always going to be quite a long piece of writing? I think it was always going to be a long piece of writing, but I didn't know if it would be a very long short story, a novella or a novel. But what I did is I wrote a scene where one of the characters, Solo, visits a prostitute and what he wants is to be beaten. He, he, he's in such mental agony that he wants to exchange this, this mental hell for physical pain. And I wrote that and then started to think about what gets a person to that place how did he how did he reach that level of pain and it was in thinking about his story that the other characters came into play and gradually the story was built oh that's so interesting because love after love is told through um three main different narrators and I, it's so interesting to hear that Solo was the one that started it all, really, which in many ways I wouldn't have expected. No, and the chapter that I wrote first, for a long time, I thought that would be the beginning of the book. And, you know, we would have this scene and then we would go backwards and forwards from that scene. Mm. And so for a long time, it was very central. And in the final draft, of course, it's not. It's sort of three quarters of the way into the book. and. It, there is nothing about it to suggest that 
it would have started um, the novel. So, yeah. you know, you, you start writing one thing and you end up with another. Yes, yes. Why did you want to um, tell the story through a few different viewpoints? And did any of those voices come a bit easier to you? Those are great questions. In order to understand these characters, I had to be in their heads and to be in their heads and to articulate as authentically as I could their feelings and doubts and fears. It had to be in the first person for each character. Mm. So Solo, Betty and Mr. Chetan. Betty is the widow, Solo is her son and Mr. Chetan is their lodger. These are the three main characters and those three voices seem key to narrating the rest of the story. And the second part of, of your question was... If any of those voices came easier to you, if you found any of them easier to write. So this was a, also a surprise to me. The male voices were much easier than Betty's voice. Mm. And as a woman writer, I, I, I started to think about why this would be. And it's possible that as women, we have been denied spaces and places to be for so long that we have always imagined ourselves into things, mm. into roles, into places. And so therefore imagining myself into the role of a, a gay man or a teenage boy was not a huge leap, but to be authentically woman, to be a middle-aged, widowed woman who's given so much of her life to everyone else and who's now seeking to find herself, that was really challenging. Mm. Oh, that's so interesting. And yes, very true, I think, that as women you get so used to imagining yourself in other roles or also ima imagining other people's lives um, but yeah that's such an interesting point another thing that really I so enjoyed about Love After Love is the incredible narrative voice and I wondered before we discuss the book a little further would you mind reading an extract from it sure so I'm going to read two small bits. The first is taken from the first chapter, and it's where Betty's interacting with her husband, Sunil. And the second little extract is when Mr. Chaitin moves in with Betty and Solo. In tutus, I dished out the stew chicken vegetable rice, and green salad. Sunil used the fork like it was a shovel. When he's like this, anything can become an argument, and any argument can become a fight. Like salt cheap. But I hardly put salt in the food. He rocked back in his chair. If looks could kill. You telling me you cooked this chicken and didn't put one set of salt in the pot? Silence. 
so what I tasting? Something must be wrong with my mouth. How I tasting salt so? You know my pressure high and you giving me salt? Like you want to kill me, eh? I was careless. I'd left the rolling pin on the drain board. Easy reach of Sunil's chair. That rolling pin might have hit the wall or the bed or the chair, but it found me. Doctor said the ulna and the radius snapped in two. My arm was in a cast when we buried Sunil a week later. At the funeral, I told people it was no big deal. I must stop being so careless with ladders. But I talk half and left half. People used to look at me and Sunil and say, Betty Gill, you're rare lucky. In my head, I wanted to ask if they're making joke. Lucky? That man only gave love you could feel. He cough you down? Honeymoon. He give you a black eye? True love in your tail. He break your hand? A love letter. He put you in hospital for a week? Love will stay the course. He take a knife and stab your leg? Until death do us part. Second extract. This is in Mr. Chayton's voice. Miss Betty declared that she was leaving the gentleman to sort out everything and going to take her five minutes. Solo put himself in charge of settling me into the house. I was trying to unpack, but the boy kept calling me. Could he show me his room? Two minutes later, he wanted to explain how to operate the TV. I had barely packed a drawer when he demanded I inspect the kitchen. What to do? He was only being friendly. Solo showed me everything, down to turning on the water heater if there wasn't enough hot water in the pipe. He was a completely different child from the morning they had stopped to give me a drop. A right little chatterbox. Mr. Chetan, is that the last box you're bringing up? Yes, you stay. There's nothing else to bring. Ouch! Oh, geez and peace, that hurt. I had stumped my so-and-so toe on the sharp edge of the concrete step. Books tumbled out the box I was carrying. A torchlight went clanking down the steps. Solo rushed to help. You all right, Mr. Chetan? You all right? My toe, damn. That nail going to turn blue. I hit it and then the torch dropped on top it. The boy ran after the torch and scooped up the books. You want ice to put on that toe? Don't worry, I'll manage. These steps are very dangerous. My daddy fell down these same steps and died right here. For true? Right here? I don't remember anything because I was small, but I know he fell down. I'm sorry. He used to drink, get drunk, and fall down. You mustn't say that about your father. But mommy told me that happened. I hoped Miss Betty wasn't listening. Her window was open, so unless she was sleeping hard, she must have heard. Children these days. I'm sure your father was a good man. Just please be very, very, very careful on the steps, okay? Especially if you come home drunk. You're not going to see me drunk. I take my stag or a little carib now and then, but I'm not a drinker. And Solo, you must be careful on the steps too. If I knew about your daddy's accident, 
I wouldn't have let you run up and down with boxes. I'm accustomed to the steps. Nothing will happen to me. He bent down and picked up a large plastic bag. A boy in my class said he does teeth carry beer from the fridge and drink it in the backyard. I hope you never do that. Mummy said that's the one thing she will give me licks for. I could do anything but that. It took the both of us till evening to put everything in place. Of course, I could have done it all much faster, but Solo refused to leave my side. I didn't mind, and although this boy's blabbering non-stop, half the time he's muttering to himself. At dinner, Miss Betty acted like she hadn't heard what Solo said about his father. Still, it bothered me. People like to run their mouth, especially when it's nothing to do with them. No, I wouldn't want that for these two. About half past eight, I asked Solo, please, let's knock off for the day. What wasn't put away could wait. Solo, you can help me again, but not too early. It's Sunday tomorrow. Okay, I won't come in your room and wake you up then. Before you go, come let me whisper something in your ears. He smiled and came close. You mustn't go around telling people that your father used to drink. It doesn't sound nice, especially since he's passed. And it will make your mum cry. He leaned into my ear and whispered back. My mummy won't cry for that. Ah, oh, that was wonderful. Thank you. I love your voice. You have such an expressive way of reading. It really brought the characters to life. Thank you. Oh, that's very kind. I actually did the um, audiobook as well. Um, so I think that's why the reading may be a little bit better than, than otherwise. I, I've actually had to practice. Oh, that's amazing, because when you were reading it, I, I was thinking, oh, you would have been so good to do the audiobook. So I'm so happy that it is by you, because, yes, I think that you just did that so well. Um, but I love the almost rhythmic tone to your writing. And I wanted to ask you about why you really chose to write Love After Love in this sort of colloquial language that really does showcase the Trinidadian dialect? English, there are so many Englishes, and mm. this English is real English for real people. So it's only colloquial outside of the region. So for 44 million Caribbean people in the region, this is not colloquial. The English that we consider to be the standard English is the English of a very small subset of people. So if you asked a Welsh person or a Scottish person or a Brummy, they would probably write um, their characters in a different voice. And the voice, my, my book is set in Trinidad, this voice was the only authentic option for me. So that's that's why I've done it. Um, of course, there are compromises in, in the writing to make it accessible, but I don't translate, I don't explain, because I, I feel sure that 90% of the time you're going to get the meaning from the context. Mm. Yes, you do. 
I mean, there are a couple of things that I know are difficult. So there's an expression we have, and and the I should say that the idiomatic expressions of Trinidadians um, and Caribbean people in general are just divine. So there's this expression called, you know, you catch a vaps. Now to catch a vaps means you just do something on a whim. So I catch a vaps and went to the beach. I just woke up today and decided to go to the beach. Of course, that's not possible in a COVID-19 world right now, <laughs> but assuming we, we could. Yes. Um, there are other wonderful expressions like, um, oh, better belly bus than good food waste. That doesn't require any no. um, translation. And that really does sort of summarize what I've been doing during this quarantine time. <laughs> <laughs> I think many of us <laughs> have been doing that. I am competing, you know, as an Olympic sport. It's just terrible. <laughs> oh, me too. I've just been in the kitchen um, baking far too much comfort food at the moment. Um, but Food, in fact, is such an important theme in your book. The meals that you describe in Love After Love are just so mouth-watering. I mean, it really <laughs> made me want to eat while I was reading it. And I wondered, why was it so important to you to include so many descriptions of food in the book? I think it's partly because Trinidadians and West Indians in general, love food. And we define relationships and experiences through food. So you would never talk about going to the beach without talking about what we're going to eat when we get to the beach. So are we going to Maracas Beach for shark and beak at Richard's Shack? So we really want to gather as a, as a community and we want to um, go to the beach and hang out, to lime, as we say. Mm -hmm. But the food is integral to it. We're going to the beach to eat shark and bake. Or we're going to a waterfall or um, a river and we're going to... Um, Take a pot of pilau, which is a peas and rice and chicken and vegetable kind of paella dish. And so we'll always talk about what food we're going to eat. It's terrible, but we do. <laughs> and um, so, of course, I had to include food in the book. It, it, it had to happen. But the extent of the food um, is because love is often tied up with food and I know as a mother I'm often giving love by cooking a nice meal for my kids so that that idea of of love going um into the the giving and receiving of food I think is quite a universal theme Yes, absolutely. And your characters do use food a lot to express love and care for each other. And for a long time, I thought of the book in terms of a legend 
that we have relating to a fish called the cascadou. So it's a particularly ugly fish. I mean, it just looks prehistoric. Um, it's sort of muddy and disgusting. And if you saw it um, in the fish market, there's no reason why you would want it if you didn't know about it. But you take that as Betty does and you prepare it properly and it's always curried. And you remove the armor plating that's on the outside. It's not even gills. It's just disgusting. Armor plating, <laughs> silver um, covering. And <laughs> underneath is the sweetest fish you will ever eat. And according to the Trini legend, if you eat cascadou, it doesn't matter where in the world you go, you will come back to Trinidad to end your days. And this idea of journey and return um, is very much part of the arc of the story for each of the mm. characters. Mm. I also thought you used food in an interesting way, perhaps especially through Betty, because as something you said at the beginning, was she was so used to taking care of other people and nurturing other people, um, but not really nurturing herself or taking care of herself. And I thought that contrast between cooking and loving other people and then really denying yourself that self-love that's so important um, really came out in the book as well. And I wanted to talk to you about that theme of self-love because I know that your title, Love After Love, is taken from a Derek Walcott poem of the same name. And there are very many dark themes in your book, but it is ultimately a book about love. And to me, anyway, it was really a book that was ultimately about the importance of self-love. And I wondered if you'd tell me a bit about why you chose Love After Love as the title and the significance of that poem for you. Derek Walcott is one of the great poets. Um, and he happens to have, although he's St. Lucian, he uh, spent a great deal of time in Trinidad and we claim him as one of our own. And Love After Love, if you haven't if any of your listeners haven't read the, the poem, you know, please do. It it's very short, but it is exquisite. And it is. I, I love it too. I am always incredibly moved. I could read it ten times a day, and each time there'll be a tiny knot in my stomach. And you know, at the last line, you know, sit and feast on your life. And it is this incredible call to your past and to your future, asking you to examine your life and consider why you haven't chosen to love yourself and why there is no other possibility of love if you have not loved yourself. So with such an exquisite poem and the fact that all three main characters are searching 
for love in some way and lacking in self-love. And so their journey is about self-love, regardless of all the little byways and, and turns that they take. They are ultimately unable to love themselves and trying to do that. Some in, in more drastic ways like solo, you know, with self-harm. So love after love is about that journey to self-love, but it is also about the failure of love. So, you know, in Betty's case, it's the failure of romantic love. In Solo's case, it's the failure of parental love. And in Mr. Chayton's case, it, it is, you know, an inability to accept himself. Mm. Uh, so there is the seeking of love and the failure of love. Mm. And journeys are another important theme in your book. I mean, there's the journey of the self, but there's also physical journeys. And Solo in the book um, moves to New York. And it certainly is a trope in popular culture that a move to New York is a pathway to reinvention, to success. And I wondered if you wanted to deliberately subvert that real Hollywood fantasy by writing about a move to New York and the experiences of someone who ends up there, who ends up staying there as an illegal immigrant. The story of so many people who go to America is not the one that, you know, Trump would have us believe that everyone of quality who arrives in America will make it. And I think it's far more realistic to consider the story of people who are on the margins. I wanted to tell their story. And the going to New York, you know, and the search for security is something that all outsiders are doing. And um, I wanted to give voice to those outsiders. I, I've lived as an outsider myself, and so perhaps I have some empathy with that. You know, I lived in Trinidad. I was born there, and I lived there until I was 18. And then I came to London to go to university, and I ended up staying, you know, and spending pretty much the rest of my adult life. I mean, I I do have a, a home in Barbados, and for the last 13 years I've been sort of back and forth um, but London has been my home and it doesn't matter if I live here another 30 years, I'll always be an outsider. And I think that, um, that insider outsider perspective is something I, I probably, you know, kind of naturally bring to my writing without thinking mm. about it too much. Your book, also reads like a real love letter to Trinidad. I mean, there's so much vivid description of its, you know, beautiful landscapes and the blend of culture, as well as the incredible food that we've already spoken about. And I love how the nostalgia of food and of home cooking really crops up in the story as well. Um, but also running all through the book is this threat of violence and crime, and also the real hatred that is expressed 
towards uh, the queer community. Um, all of that is really laid bare in your book. And there are some horrifying consequences to this bigotry and violence for some of the characters in the story. Why were these issues that you especially wanted to highlight in the book? I would agree it's a love letter to Trinidad. And that stems again from the insider-outsider positioning that I, I seem to occupy. And the novel is a way of going back, of celebrating, of reclaiming those things for myself. But I was always anxious that it shouldn't become sentimental and nostalgic, that I should keep it real. And keeping it real meant showing the other side of Trinidad. It's not a tropical paradise. It is a real place with very real and difficult problems. And I thought I owed it to myself to portray all of Trinidad. A love letter doesn't mean you don't recognize the faults. A love letter is, I recognize your faults and I still love you. Mm. Yeah. Well, Ingrid, at the end of my interviews, I always ask my guests if they'll give a cultural recommendation. So this could be a book, a podcast, a TV show, a film, anything really. But I'd love to hear about something that you've been enjoying lately. Ah, something I've been enjoying in quarantine. Yes, (laughs) sadly. So we are inside and... um, We need to bring, we can't travel. And so bringing the outside back to us, I've been immersed in um, books and particularly books from, uh, by West Indian authors. So I've been reading, there's a new book out by Monique Roffey, um, The Mermaid of Black Conch. And uh, that's out right now. I've just finished that. and It's really excellent. There's another book um, by Claire Adams, uh, Golden Child. Really uh, highly recommend. So I would, you know, I'd say books are always a wonderful way to travel. So um, if you can stop eating for 10 seconds... (laughs) and read um that's great um, <laughs> those those books sound wonderful I'll put links to them in the show notes and yes I have definitely been reading my way through this quarantine as well and yeah it's just a wonderful thing to be able to escape into other worlds for a bit um but what's next for you I mean I know that sadly book events and festivals have been cancelled or postponed right now but are you working on another book at the moment or is there any upcoming project that you're able to tell us a little bit about right now? I've got a couple short stories um, on the go that uh, need work and and um, that's very much what I'm doing at the moment but I also have ideas and bits written for another novel. And what's important, I think, in in a time like this is to simply do your best work and not think about 
the future of the publishing industry or, um, you know, when we'll next be able to go to live book events. I think you just have to, to do, do the best you can and, mm. and use the time. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's so true. But if listeners would like to keep up with your news, where's best for them to find you online? I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I don't tend to post personal things, but I post a lot about books and reading. Wonderful. And what, what are your handles? Gosh, I should know that, but I, 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 I don't. I, I don't think there are many Ingrid Persauds, to be honest. It's, um... <laughs> no, well, I'll put links to them in the show notes anyway. But yes, yeah, so, so just a Google search will bring them yeah, up, I'm sure. <laughs> That, well, I'll make sure I get I get my act together next time and, and know know these things. <laughs> well, Ingrid, it's been such a pleasure chatting to you today. Thank you so much for coming on Tea and Tattle. Thank you for having me. That's it for this episode of Tea and Tattle. Thanks so much again to Ingrid for her wonderful interview. For all the relevant links, check out the show notes for this episode at teantattlepodcast.com forward slash home forward slash 141. If you've enjoyed my chat with Ingrid, then I'd love it if you shared this episode with a friend or please consider leaving a review of Tea and Tattle on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher as great reviews help other people to find the show. If you'd like to get in touch, then come and find Tea and Tattle on Instagram at Tea and Tattle Podcast, where I share the latest podcast news, sneak peeks of upcoming guests, and things I think Tea and Tattle listeners will love. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back again next Tuesday with another Tea and Tattle interview. But until then, goodbye. Mm-hmm.